All right, let's uh, let's pray. I really need the Lord. So, Father, I just come and I, I, I bow the knees of my heart to you. Father, I, I give myself to you again to uh, love the church, to love Calvary Chapel, love these people here who are my church family, to serve you well. God, I really want to be used by you. And uh, I know that I actually can't do this in the flesh even a little bit. And so, God, I'm looking for your grace by the Holy Spirit. Father, I love your word that says, um, does, the, does he who supplies the Spirit and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or hear with faith? And so, God, would you bring about the hearing with faith that welcomes the fresh supply of the Holy Spirit and miracles worked among us? God, I, I believe we're still in the New Testament church. I know we've been here for a long time. But I believe we're still in the age of the Spirit. We're still in the New Testament church age. And so, God, as we believe what we hear about the Lord Jesus Christ, would you supply the Spirit in a fresh way into our lives and even work miracles amongst us? God, I pray that you lift up the name of Jesus by healing people as we hear your word and setting hearts and minds free as we hear your word and breaking down the kingdom of darkness as we hear your word. Lord, you do your miracles just as we believe you as we believe your words spoken and hear with faith. And so, God, I'm looking to you, and I trust you, and I know you'll do it. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Well, if you've been with us for a little bit, you know that I'm kind of working through the Ten Commandments. And there's reasons for this. Um, It's a a great way to hit a lot of topics in a god provided way that lets me talk about a lot of things in life. Um, And so I appreciate that. The Ten Commandments are actually kind of like their nation-building verses as well. Um, If you you fell out of an airplane with a hundred other people and landed on a deserted island and you said, how are we going to live together? And somebody said, let's start with the Ten Commandments and go from there. You'd actually be able to build an entire society on that, like the Western world, which is exactly what happened there. And so these are important verses. Um, I'm kind of jumping around with them a little bit. Sometimes I think if I get a little bit too predictable, it doesn't actually help people hear well. So it's, oh, next week's going to be on this one. You don't know that. I'm jumping around. You don't know that. So we actually started at the end, which we started with uh, thou shalt not cover it. And what I was saying, and it's good to remember, is what I was saying is that God has given each of us a unique life strengths and weaknesses, high points and low points. And what we're called to do as we're surrounded by people who also have unique lives is not be looking at them saying, how come my life's not like that person? How come I don't have that person's stuff? How come that person has more than I do? God says, don't covet. Instead, look to me. And out of your life and in your life, look to me in faith and say, God, fill my life full of your glory. In the midst of my troubles, come and be my helper. In the midst of my high times, come and be my praise. No matter what's going on, I want more of Jesus in my unique life. And I'm not getting bitter by looking at other people's lives and saying, how come not me? And then we went and looked at the first commandment for a couple of weeks. And the big thing I was saying there is that when God says to us, you shall have no other gods beside me, the heart issue there is he's saying, I don't want you to have other gods because I want to be your God exclusively. And as we looked at the greatest commandment, Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength, which leaves nothing left out. 
to love God with everything you've got, I've been saying that this is the best and greatest thing that can happen to a human being in life, to have this love relationship with God. And we don't have to wonder if he loves us because Jesus died on the cross. God, Jesus said, no greater love does anybody have than this, that, you, that someone would lay down their life for a friend. We know that Jesus loves us with everything he's got. The question is often just, do we love him back? That's the question. And so God is calling us to the best life ever by saying, I want to be in a loyal, passionate, exclusive love relationship with you. And when that happens, how that happens, it's the best thing that ever happens to us. Better than money, better than vacations, better than success, better than anything is to be in a, in a wonderful love relationship with the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit. Smarter people than me have, have suggested before that the Ten Commandments can be divided up in two ways. Jesus said the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Do you remember that? Two greatest commandments, love God, love your neighbor. Smarter people than me have said that roughly you can take the Ten Commandments and um, separate them into loving God commandments and loving neighbor commandments. Now, they're not exclusive because anybody who's murdering their neighbor doesn't really love God. You know, in that moment, if you're, if you're wanting to murder your neighbor, God doesn't feel like warmth and honor and praise. So you can't totally separate it, but if you think about it, the first of the Ten Commandments, which are, have no other gods besides me, and don't make any carved images and worship these things, and you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. These are really God-centered commandments. They're ways of showing love to God. And the later commandments, like you shall not murder and you shall not commit adultery and you shall not steal, are neighbor-oriented commandments. They're things that you aren't doing to your neighbor because you love them. Nobody who shoots their neighbor in the back loves their neighbor very much. Unless there was some kind of wild, rabid raccoon on their back and you missed. You know, you were trying to get that varmint. But that's a really rare case and that excuse probably wouldn't stand up in court, so... If you're stealing from your neighbor, you don't really love them. If you're lying about them to other people, you don't really love them. And so if you think about it, that those two great commandments, love your God and love your neighbor, expressions of them come out in the Ten Commandments. And it seems to me that the commandment we're looking at today, which is about the Sabbath, actually captures both of these things really well. It's about loving God by taking time to rest and just trust that he's the one in control of your life worshiping him by resting and it's also about working and loving your neighbor with your work so let's read this commandment together this is exodus chapter 20 verse 8 god says this to his people remember the sabbath day to keep it holy this is the seventh day of the week six days you shall labor and do all your work but the seventh day is a sabbath to the lord your god on it you shall not do any work you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates for on for in six days the lord made heaven and earth the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day therefore the lord blessed the sabbath day and made it holy I think next time I speak on this, I'll talk about applying a Sabbath rest to our lives. So if I can just put that in a little bubble, and if you're wondering how do we do that, 
nowadays. I, I want to answer that question on a diff- different day, but today I want to talk about um, the verses, six days you shall do your labor, and how God calls us to work as his people. He says, work and rest, and it's a very important rest, but when you're not resting, work. So today we're talking about the gift of works out of the Ten Commandments. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about four reasons why Christians, believers, should embrace a love of work. Excited yet, Josh? Four reasons Christians should embrace a love of work as people who believe in the Lord, people who know God. And if I throw in some extra reasons, those are bonus. They're not extra. But at least four. Reason number one, why we're called to love work as Christians. And that is because our God is a worker. Reason number one is because our God is a worker. And you can see that in this passage where, where the Lord says, the reason I want you to rest on the seventh day, you work six days and then you rest on the seventh day, he says, because that's what I did. I worked for six days, made everything, and then I rested. And again, we'll talk more about that, but that's the reason that God gives in Exodus chapter 20. Now, if you go to Deuteronomy 6, where the Ten Commandments is repeated, God makes it about resting to prove you're not a slave. If you work every day, you're a slave. That's how slaves work. They work every day of their life. So I want you to take a day off because you're not slaves anymore. And that's true and good. But in this explanation of the Sabbath, God is calling his people to be like him. I worked six days and then I rested. So be like me. And God is really the greatest worker ever. At the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, um, God shows up to this great mess, the, the great uh, wet void, the tohu wabohu. It's just like water teeming in the middle of a tornado out at sea or a hurricane. And uh, he begins to work. And it says right as he begins his work, the Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the deep. And I want you to remember that. And then he sets to work and he he creates this thing called light because when you're a painter in the basement and it's 11 o'clock, you can't do it in the dark, right? No, you need to turn the lights on so you can get things moving here. And he creates light and then he separates the light from the darkness. Then he creates this expanse and he's got water above and water below. And then he creates the dry land and then he... um, causes the vegetation to grow off the dry land, and then he fills the sky full of all kinds of light, stars and moon and sun, and through that sets up seasons and dates and years and ways to uh, watch time go by by looking at the moon. You know, every time the moon is full, you just remember, wow, another month has passed and the kids are going to go crazy. And then he made the, uh, the fish to fill up the sea and the birds to fill up the air and then the beasts on the dry land and all the itty bitty critters and over top of everything he made his own image, mankind. And he blessed them all and gave them work to do and then he rested. And through this, God, he's just like the best worker ever. Um, he, he's the best engineer. He designed this whole functional 
universe and ecosystem. He's the best construction worker who figured out how to keep stars hanging up in the sky. It uses a lot of gravity and distance, but most of us would have a really hard time hanging a light bulb from scratch, unless you're an electrician. So God must be really good at what he's doing. Um, He's the most creative zoologist, not just naming a bunch of different animals, but actually creating every single different kind of creature with all the potential to to live and eat and reproduce. Um, He's the great horticulturalist, making every kind of um, plant life, both those that can be eaten and those that can't be eaten, and filling the world full of it. He's a good manager. He knows how to delegate. So he makes a sea and then he says, okay, fish, you take care of it. And the sky says, okay, birds, you're in charge of this because I'm not giving people wings yet, maybe. We don't know what's going to happen in heaven. Kind of wondering about that. And then he says to the people, okay, you guys take care of all of this. You're going to delegate. So he's just the best worker ever. Um, And he rests on the seventh day. And so something really big is going on here in the Ten Commandments. And I know the Ten Commandments can often feel like such a drag and a downer and getting in the way of fun stuff. But remember, the Ten Commandments starts with this great declaration where God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then in his fourth commandment, he talks about work. And what's going on here is that the Hebrew people, their life for centuries was just oppressive work. Um, If you remember when Moses showed up into Egypt, they had this quota of bricks that they needed to make every day. And Pharaoh punished the people for wanting to leave by taking away the straw. Do you remember that? Now you have to make your bricks without straw, which means that they had to go find their own straw so that they could make the bricks, and the quota was never relaxed. And so their work life was work designed to oppress them. The Egyptians... I don't even know if they needed the bricks, but they're just like, wow, there's a lot of Israelites. We're kind of scared that they're going to form an army. What we need to do is oppress them with hard labor so they can't become wealthy and organized and strong. And so they gave them slave labor for generation after generation after generation. Every day, bricks. And so as I imagine it, the the Israelites would wake up in the morning, eat a little bit of food, and then they'd go out to get working on their brick quota. And once their quota was done, then they would have their time to go and do their other stuff like take care of their kids or make lunch or whatever. That's kind of how it would work. That's how I imagine it, how I understand it. And so here, God, if God is going to rescue them from slavery, he needs to rescue their work life. The Ten Commandments really is about God trying to rescue everything that's been messed up by them being slaves to idolaters for hundreds of years. He's trying to rescue their work life. And the first thing he says is he says, from now on, when you go to work, I want you to know that you and I are hanging out. You're, you're acting like me, and I'm with you while you do it. And that really changes everything. It really is meant to change everything. We're being like God. We're connecting with God in it. And I want to prove my point going a little bit deeper. And so please work with me. I'm going to be talking through some some details from Exodus. I don't want anybody to get lost. I'm going to try to make this all work. Okay? I was reading through Exodus just as I'm going through the Bible. And I noticed something very, very interesting. Okay, so we talked about Genesis There's a big mess. God wants to create this world for him to fill up with his image bearers. 
And the first thing that we hear about during this creation story is the Spirit of God being there, right? The Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. And then God goes about making everything, boom, 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 and finishes and then has his own Sabbath. Is that, is that clear in your minds? Spirit of God, work, rest. Well, as you continue to read Exodus, God doesn't just give the Ten Commandments. He also gives instructions about how he wants a tabernacle built. What's a tabernacle? Well, that's a fancy Bible word for like a royal tent, a big tent, something bigger than you take out in the, in the summertime for sure. And because he wants to dwell with his people, he wants to have his presence on earth in a special way with them. And so he wants them to build him a royal tent so that he'll dwell with them and be with them in a place on the earth. And he goes about telling them exactly how he wants them to make it. So they're going to make a, an ark for the Ten Commandments to go into, and they're going to make um, a tabernacle, which is like the inner Holy of Holies place where the ark is going to be. And then outside of that, they've got to make this table that they're going to bread on. And then outside of that, there's going to be some lampstands, some golden lampstands. And then around that, there's going to be a courtyard that's made out of this super durable, like seal skins and goat skins and stuff like this. And, and he gives them this whole long instruction about everything they're going to make for God's presence to come and dwell with them on earth including the priestly garments. And then after he's done giving them these instructions about all this stuff that they have to build, and it's a really big build project. It takes them like almost a year to do all of this work because they've got to cast things out of bronze and make things out of gold. And Can you just imagine you're out in the desert and it's like, okay, we need to make a forge. There's not a lot of wood around here, but we're going to figure this out. You know, it took them almost a year to do this. And so all of this work that they're, they're commanded to do, just imagine, okay? We've got all this stuff to do. And then in verse 31, after all these instructions, God says this. He says to Moses, See, I have called by name Bazalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God. Ding, 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 ding with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs to work in gold and silver and bronze and cutting stones for settings and carvings of wood to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahasamach, of the tribe of Dan, and I have given to him, sorry, to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. And that all able men included the women who were busy at work making all of these um, curtains for the tabernacle we learn a few chapters later. And then right after he talks about these people who are filled with the Spirit of God in order to create things, he talks about the Sabbath again. Verse 12 of chapter 31, And the Lord said, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbath. For this is a sign between you and me throughout all generations. What's going on here? In Genesis, we see God alone, the Spirit of God presence, the creation of a world for God to dwell in, and then a rest on the seventh day. And then in Exodus, we see this whole thing that they need to build, and then God saying, now my Spirit is inside of people to get the work done, and you're going to rest just like I do when things are all finished. So what are we hearing? When we are Christians, when we are people by faith and we are called to work, we are called to work by the Spirit of God with God to accomplish His replenishing of the earth. And if you have abilities, they are gifts from the Lord that we're meant to use for Him by the power of the Spirit of God and also rest in Him. So point number one, which is kind of the one of the bigger points, 
We join with God when we, when we work in our work week. Now, let me talk about the work week for a sec, because when I say work, most of us think right away, nine to five, and the thing that gives us a paycheck every two weeks or a month or however we've got it set up, right? Or mowing the lawn on the weekends. One of those two things. When God's talking about work, it's a super expansive term. It's just like anything you do that's creative, that tends, that makes things better, that improves people's lives, that's helping people out. It's like everything. There's no divide between Monday through Friday, and then Saturday you get the vacuuming done, and then Sunday you show up at church, and if you're unlucky, you got rung into hosting or children's ministry or something like that. And there's three different kinds of work. There's like real work, and then there's the house is a mess work, and then there's spiritual work right? That's kind of how we live. Am I just making this stuff up or am I, am I talking? There's real work where the money comes in and then there's work you got to do because I like to eat. And then there's spiritual work that you got to do in order to get your brownie points for heaven. Correct? For the Lord, there's just work that you're doing with him. And sometimes you get paid for it and sometimes you don't. And sometimes it's soup kitchen stuff. But for him, it's just, you're working with me. And if you're working with me, you're working with me. Another reason Christians can be excited about work, should be excited about work, must be excited about work. Am I pushing too hard there? Because we have the best boss. Okay, in the Colossians, Paul is writing to this church there and giving them multiple instructions about how to live together and how to do regular life. He says to the servants or the slaves, this is Colossians 3, 22 through 24, I believe. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. See, you knew when I was talking about work that I was going to get to listening to your boss, and that's why everyone's a little bit depressed. The first service was like quiet, like I was just yelling in a library. Um, Whatever. We need faith. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers. So don't just act like you're working hard when the boss is coming by. But with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, whatever you do, work hardly as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Whatever work you're doing, you're serving Christ. If you're making dinner, you're serving Christ. If you're mowing the lawn, you're serving Christ. If you're going to high school, you're serving Christ. If you own a business, you're serving Christ. If you work for somebody, you're serving Christ. Christ is the boss. He's always the boss. And so he says, work for me. Work for me. And don't let that other person get in the way, which is a challenge sometimes, right? Because God doesn't make things super easy all the time. Everybody wants a Christ-like boss, but instead we, find, we get opportunities to grow. You are serving the Lord Christ, whatever you're doing, and Jesus knows how to pay out. This is part of what Paul's saying. So you're making minimum wage. Well, if you're serving Jesus, he will pay you back. Sometimes we get stuck in jobs we don't like and we grumble and, and it's almost like, well, Jesus is the great HR manager of the entire universe. He can put us wherever he wants us to be, but he wants us to work like we're working for him. If you're not faithful with little, why would anybody trust you with much, says the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so we should be excited about this. I know it's a bit of a challenge. It's kind of like, yeah, I guess I'm working for Jesus. Well, I guess I should stop. This is actually exciting. Like every day, wherever you go, if you're working, you're not resting, you're not doing active resting, and you do that rest with Jesus. But as you're trying to bake the brownies, as you're trying to raise the kids, as you're trying to accomplish homeschool, Jesus is the boss and he's with you and he's there to help and reward and lead and guide and make it better. But we're doing it unto him. We're working for somebody who really loves us. Speaking of the best life being in love with Jesus at all times, what would we, what would change if you started thinking that your business or your workplace was the first place that God wanted to make you know his love? And if that's the first time we've had that thought together, that's probably sad. Because we do this thing, right? I work and then I have spiritual time. I've got this thing where it's all about me and then I got this time where I connect with Jesus over a cup of coffee. Which brings me to my second point. We should be excited and learning to love work and learning to enjoy work better, learning to grow in grace at work because our work is a gift from God, all of it. The, the paid work, the unpaid work, the church work, it's all a gift from God. So the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, he's talking about how God has rescued us by grace from fruitless work, work not knowing God, work that won't accomplish any eternal good and rarely even a temporal good and he says that we've been saved by grace through faith because of god's great love and so let's pick it up in verse eight he says for by grace you have been saved through faith meaning god has done the work and this is not your own doing it is a gift of god not a result of works not because you did something special so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in christ jesus for good works which god prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I'm going to read that one more time, just so we all catch it. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand for us to walk in it. Okay, so let's stop here for a second. What is a good work? Anything you do with Jesus as your boss to please him or because of your faith in him. That's a good work, right? And a bad work is anything you do not in faith in Christ because you believe I'm all on my own or you believe I've got to earn something because God's still mad at me. That's a bad work. God, God really doesn't want that stuff. And I'll talk about that more in a second. But a good work is anything we do that's, that's a good work by faith in Jesus. So, I'm not talking about armed robbery. I'm not talking about drug dealing. I'm not talking about stuff that are crimes, okay? Those are bad works too. But if you can change a diaper thanking God, that is a good work. Amen? If you can cut baby back ribs and then cook them for your boss, that is a good work. Right? Children's ministry, by faith, is a good work. And so is youth leading, by faith. It's a good work. And coming home and listening to your wife process the day, by faith in Jesus, is a good work. Or coming home and and compelling your wife to process the day because she's an introvert, is a good work. Or vice versa. If the wife is coming home and husband's been there, and it's good works. 
What you're doing by faith in Jesus is a good work. Now, this is the point I'm making. These good works were prepared by God for us that we should walk in them. Which brings us back to the covenant, covetous command. Your life of work was prepared specifically for you that you would walk in them, not somebody else. Your job is for you as long as you're at it. And your home to take care of, whether it's an apartment or an expanded thing that you need a riding lawnmower for, is prepared for you that you would walk at, in it by faith in Jesus for the glory of God. Okay, so what I'm saying here is that everything you're doing that's not resting in Christ, that is work in Christ, is meant to be received as something God has given you to do, that he actually prepared beforehand. He, he prepared it beforehand. When the, day, when the sun comes up in the morning, God pulls out your work and dusts it off. <laughs> Things like 10,000 years old this day that I prepared for you. There you go not rusty don't worry he prepared your work for you and so as we go for work whatever that work might be in the day we can we can kind of crazy thinking walk into it going okay god's got this set out and he's called me to do it and i'm called to do it so i'm going to do it because jesus is my boss and god is a worker so i join him in working and this is what he's given me to do and as you think like that it is a good work which is amazing. I talked more about truckers in the first service, so I'll pick it up because I don't want anybody to feel neglected. Truckers do a lot of good work as they drive by faith in Jesus because there's a lot of great plants that are grown that would never make it to Manitoba without a trucker. You ever think about that? Do you know how long it would take for all of us to like degrade into rioting anarchy? if there were no truckers and trucks? About three weeks. The first week to loot Superstore, the second week to loot your neighbor's house, and the third week just to run screaming into the woods. How many of you have food beyond like a month in your house? Okay, we, we live off of... Truckers keep us alive. Don't let that go to your head, truckers, but serve Christ. And so the reason I'm talking about that is because I think that sometimes we can pick jobs that aren't that, uh, they're kind of, uh. if you're serving Jesus, if it makes anybody else's life better, you're serving the Lord. Stocking shelves somewhere. Does that make somebody else's life better? Yeah. Because if we all had to go to Superstore and actually pull the groceries out of the back of trucks as they pulled up and left and there was no lineups and no aisles and no anything, again, it would turn into, like, don't, don't pay yourself an overcompliment. Anybody here could riot over food. Anybody. That's, it happens all the time. Gas prices go up to $5 a liter. And all of a sudden, everybody's doing the... <laughs> out of everybody's gas tank. Blah, up, you know. our, our society is so stable because so many people are doing so much work all the time that benefits each other. And it does work like that. We're, t- we're all, our, most of you, like, just think about how your job is benefiting somebody else's life. Like, taking care of kids. They might not say thanks too often, but you're kind of benefiting their life. Feeding people, taking care of people, fixing things that break. 
And as we say, I'm doing this with the Lord, it becomes this great good work that God loves. That's a gift that he's given you. So I promised you a little bit more about this. There is a kind of work that's a really bad, bad kind of work. And this is any kind of work that we do, spiritual or kind of less spiritual, in quotation marks, that we're doing because we know we're out of relationship with God. There's a kind of person that knows they're out of relationship with God. They feel guilty, and so they're just like, well, I'll just work. I'll just make money. That's bad work. There's a kind of person who feels guilty before the Lord. Maybe they've done something or they think they've done something. They feel like they can't be forgiven. So they say, well, I'm just, maybe I'll start working in a soup kitchen. Maybe I'll start trying to balance out the thing. There's a kind of person that says, I don't really know that there's a God, but I'm just going to try to live my life okay. And I'm sure things will balance out in the end. And I'll end up a little bit on the good side for the judgment day. This is all bad work. This is bad work. And God's let us know that there's actually nothing a human being can do, a sinner can do to make things okay with God on our own. You can't earn enough money. You can't do enough good deeds. It's impossible. The only thing that could rescue a sinner from hell, from an eternity experiencing getting cut off from God, was the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That's why he came. And that's why he did that work. This was the best work ever. Jesus came as a little baby, grew up, lived, worked as a carpenter for a while. Any carpenters in the room? You can do a little happy dance that you're a little bit closer to Jesus through that. And I'll let you have it because he also did a lot of teaching. So I'll pick him up later on in life. He lived a perfect life of obedience to the Father's will, which was hard work. He went to the cross, which was blood pouring out of his skin through sweat, hard work. He died, came back from the dead. He went to the throne. He sent the Spirit. And he's ruling right now. And now salvation is just by a free gift. All you can do is receive it and say, I trust you, Jesus. And by trust, all of Jesus' work counts for you. And that's, that's the beginning of every real good work. Do you know the Bible says that in the flesh, apart from God, nobody can please God? This is one of the most humbling verses ever. Those who are in the flesh, it says in Romans 8, cannot please God. When someone is separated from God and living in rebellion against God, because of where their heart is at, they cannot please him. Because God is a heart-first God. He looks at the heart first. He looks at our attitudes first. He looks at our loyalties first. He wonders who our God is first. And when our God is not him, he's not pleased with anything. But we cannot respond to that by saying, I'll fix it, I'll fix it, I'll, I'll do more, I'll do better, I'll do less of the bad stuff, I'll fix it, I'll fix it. It's just more of the same problems. Instead, God says... I have done it. I have done everything necessary for you and I to be brought to peace and reconciliation. For you to experience my love and for you to love me back. And for me to now take every day of your life and make it completely different than it was. I have done it. Trust my son. Trust my son. And so Christian, if that's you this morning, I know we get trapped in that. You feel guilty and you want to work off your debt before God. Please give up. Please give up today. Just stop. That's not how it works. The best thing you can do today to please God is to say, sorry, and I'm putting all my trust in Jesus that I'm forgiven by him and him alone, and God will be so pleased. Wonderful. Finally and lastly, I've talked about how when we work with God, when we take our work life seriously and joyfully, we're joining with him and we're becoming more and more like him talked about how 
now as Christians, we have a new boss who is Jesus, who we go to work for and with, and he is above our current bosses, and we can always talk to him about our bosses. That the work that God gives us is a tailor-made specific work for us. It doesn't always look like what we thought we would get, but it actually is probably what we really need. And so we can receive each day of work, whether it's paid work or unpaid work or spiritual work as something God's given us to walk in that he's prepared beforehand. And finally, as we work, we can gather resources to bless other people with. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, Let the thief no longer steal. Rather, let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. This is one of the reasons why God has blessed us with work, so that we can make a little bit more than we need or sometimes a lot more than we need or sometimes a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot more than we need, so that we can share with other people who aren't there yet. And this is one of the ways we be like God, where we mirror him to the world. Let me ask you this question. In the Genesis 1 story, of all the things God created, how many of those things did he need? Did did he need dry land? He's like, I'm just wrinkled out here. I've been in this bathwater for an eternity so far I'm all pruned up I need some dry land to dry out did he need cows did he need caterpillars did he need seagulls did he need sparrows did he need uh, trout lake trout or pickerel or jack or whatever I mean everyone wonders about jack that's just a slimy fish but did he need all that stuff no he made it to share he made it to give to us he's a worker all of his work that we can see he did to share for other people's sake. And so as we come to enjoy the work and the proceeds of work, which is fruitfulness, we can turn around and say, God, I, I don't actually need all this stuff. Who do you want me to share it with? And, and please, never to assuage your guilt, never to try to earn something from God, but from in the delight of being like him and enjoying being generous with other people. God loves a cheerful giver, not a guilty giver. Can we just say that again? Because we might have like a fund drive coming up sometime soon. I don't want anybody to ever feel guilty when you're giving. God loves a cheerful giver. And if you're making more than you need, the question is, God, what, what do you want me to contribute to? Amen? Okay, so let me really drive the point home and put on my Pentecostal hat and lose my friends and just really drive the point home on this one. Are you working for Christ? The answer is yes, but let me ask you, in your life, are you working for Christ? Okay, good. Thank you. For everybody who's not saying yes, I'll keep asking. Are you working for the Lord? Can you say thank you? Thank you for the jobs you've given me, both the nine-to-fiver or whatever the split shift might be, and the dishes at the end of the day, and the carpet that needs vacuuming, and there's a few dirty diapers in there and one of them opened up before it got in the garbage can can you say thank you to him because as you do this is the good works and they're prepared for you sometimes we are not prepared for what god has prepared but will you say thank you can you let this adjust your attitude okay this is crazy all of a sudden you're going to work and your boss isn't the biggest thing anymore because all of a sudden you realize he's just part of god's plan for your life and you can start asking the question how come 
my, what, what purpose does my boss have in my life to make me more like Jesus because Jesus has given him to me for now or her to me for now, as the case may be? Doesn't that change everything? Okay, if you don't like the work you're doing, what does it change that all of a sudden you realize that Christ has given you this work for your good and for you to do good? And it's not all of a sudden about your job being your God that you need to get your money and your position and your pride from. Are you working with Christ? And as you're thinking about these attitudes and thinking about these mindsets, and I'm not asking any of these questions to make you frustrated or feel guilty. I want you to be free. For goodness sake, Christian, I want you to be free. That's why I'm asking you these questions. I want you to be free. I don't want you to be a slave to grumbling and a slave to your paycheck or a slave to frustration. I want you to be free in Christ. And the only way to be free in Christ is to work with him. And rest in him. But that's next week. So this is what I want us to do. I want you to believe me that this is true. This is the first work that God loves. Is that when we believe his word. You are working for the Lord. And say thanks. And work on your attitude. And more than this. Do you remember I was talking to you about Basilel and Aholiab. Which are names that you never heard before. And may never hear again. Totally forgotten heroes of the Bible. What did God say he had done to them in order to give them skill for their works? He put the Spirit of God in them. Christian, do you have the Spirit of God in you? Are you using him at work? Amen? Like going to work? Fill me up. I've got got teaching to teach. Burgers to flip. Hammers to nail. Strike that the other way around. (laughs) Welds to weld. Help me, Holy Spirit, give me skill, give me creativity, give me insight, give me integrity. Help me to do this well. I need more ideas. I need more wisdom. I need to do this better. Fill me up, Holy Spirit. If you can do this for a couple of old guys in the Old Testament, surely you can do this for me when I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit, according to 1 Corinthians. So will you do this, please? Homeschool moms, please? Or stay-at-home moms, will you please? Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with power and wisdom to make that home a home. Students, please, you need to move your shoulder right there. There you go. Students, will you please ask the Holy Spirit to make you students of God? Your work is to learn and to be respectful and to build a culture of holiness at your schools. But will you please ask the Holy Spirit, give me skill to learn and to take tests, and to accomplish things. And by please, I mean do it. That's pastor please. By please, I mean you have to do this. I mean it. Like, won't that change everything? You're going to spend about a third of your adult life working. And so if your work life, well, maybe not a third, maybe a quarter because of weekends, If a quarter of your life is not spent saying, I want to experience Christ in this, that would be a sad thing. In fact, in a third of your life you spend sleeping. So it's like a lot of your life you're going to spend working. This should be one of the main places you experience the faithfulness of Christ and the power of the Spirit and the love of God. Amen? Don't wait for Sunday. Tomorrow morning. You may not believe it until the first or second cup of coffee goes down. But the truth is that God wants to make you know his love, show you his abilities to move through you, 
and to help make you fruitful in your work week. Amen? And everything else. And when you come home. Father, thank you so much for this truth. God, you are the liberating God who wants to rescue us from slavery, God. So would you rescue us from a secular mindset about work, Lord, whether it's hourly, salary, ownership, volunteer, whatever it is, God, would you rescue us? And Lord, I pray that you'd help each one of us accept by faith this call. I am working for Jesus, whatever I'm doing. I'm doing good works that God has prepared to count for eternity for me to walk in them. And God, I pray you'd help each one of us simply or passionately just say, Holy Spirit, come when we go to work tomorrow or whenever it is for your glory. And God, I really want you to increase our faith that we would be more and more effective and effectual and that wherever we are, you've called us to it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.